Welcome to What Have We Learned? Incidental learnings from interesting people. I'm Ben Punter. In this episode, it's writer, performer, singer, and podcaster Suze Kempner, who you may have seen during the Edinburgh Fringe 2019 during her show Mega Drive, or at Nick Helm's show, I Think You Stink. She was a performer in that show as well. You can follow her on Twitter, she's at Suze UK, or on Instagram, Suze Kempner, or one word. Uh, the spelling of it is basically the title of this episode. And you can hear her on the Mystery on the Rocks podcast as well, so do check that out where you get your normal podcasts from. Let me know what you end up learning from this episode. I would love to hear from you. I'm at Ben Punter on Instagram and on Twitter, or you can message me via the Facebook page, What Have We Learned? So in this episode, we talk about stand-up, musicals, imposter syndrome, and school singing. This is What Have We Learned with Suze Kempner. Suze, welcome to What Have We Learned. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm all right, thanks, yeah. Either train travel's been on my side, doesn't always happen, mm-hmm. but thrilled that it was today. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Mega Drive yeah. was the show at the Edinburgh Fringe. Yes. Um, how was that run for you? The oh, it was a great run. Yeah, like, it's my seventh solo hour, and solo hours at the Fringe can vary throughout the month, and it was just... It was lovely every day. There wasn't a single day where I came away from it going, I'm depressed. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the first, probably the first time I can say that about a fringe run. Yeah. And how long did it take to write that particular show? I sort of start writing as soon as the previous Edinburgh's finished. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, but I'm not really writing. I'm not going, right, I'm writing a show now. I, I have a... Break. Y- yeah, yeah, there's yeah. like a, there's like a notes document uh, on my Mac with tons and tons of ideas so and then I'll come back to it and go why well, have I written Maroon Renault 19 mm. and won't remember but it probably wasn't worth remembering and how, <laughs> how long does an idea like that take to come together mm. it really varies again I mean I didn't start previewing this show till I think my first preview was March mm-hmm. which is really late for me to start previewing I've normally done one by the end of January beginning of February because I didn't really know I knew I wanted it to be uh, video games and nostalgia again, um, which I'd done the previous year. But trying to create a new show that wasn't just a copy of the previous show mm. was that was a challenge. So yeah, I hope I did that. What was the, what were the kind of hurdles you had to overcome? Because the the year before you did uh, Supersonic '90s Kids. That's right. Yeah. And so what were the kind of hurdles you had to overcome from that year to this year? Mm. Create a similar theme. Yeah. But also you need it to be sort of different from it but not it's, it. not it's not the same show again but it's it's a new show but similar themes so yeah. there must be sort of a, an overlap of ideas and we've done that before that's so it yeah well it, it's I've, it kind of goes from where I am at that particular point in my career so in in 2018, when I was doing Supersonic 90s Kid, there was this idea of looking back at yourself. I look back at myself as a 13-year-old because it was 20 years since I'd become a teenager. So I was constantly looking back on what I was like at 13. And then in the year that followed, uh, my career trajectory, I'm happy to say, has gone up a little. Mm-hmm. So I'm, and, and I have terrible imposter syndrome. <laughs> so I essentially did a show about imposter syndrome, about, um, and, and looking back about being this really weird, uncertain kid and realising you haven't changed at all. So I get all these good things happen to me and I'm instantly going, well, that shouldn't have happened and when's it going to go wrong? Yeah. And that's exactly what I did as a kid. So what does, imp- so what does imposter syndrome, how does it manifest itself? Imposter syndrome, I suppose different in different people. For me, I just go, if I get a really lucky break, which 
like if you hang around in this industry long enough eventually you'll get lucky at some point um i ended up in a musical written by uh richard thomas who wrote the jerry springer opera and i got it because uh i work a lot in on the lgbt cabaret circuit and they needed a female singer who had could sing musical theatre in this show who didn't look like someone else from the cabaret circuit if that makes sense yeah yeah so I I just got in it and I went well I didn't have to audition for it and if I had had to audition for it I definitely wouldn't have got it and they probably need someone taller and they probably they probably actually need someone who looks a bit more like a a 50s starlet but you know I'm very lucky to be here It, it has never occurred to me doing this musical for the past two years that maybe I'm the right person for so, the job so it's a sense of like dis- I don't deserve not I don't deserve this but yeah like, someone's going to find someone out someone's yeah, going to yeah. find out yeah and you're constantly I'm like all the characters in Goodfellas constantly looking over my shoulder waiting to see who's going to not kill me but mm. tell everybody that she doesn't belong here no, I, I get this I do kind of get a sense of that myself when I'm, right. doing, when I'm doing this kind of like, like podcasting been going for ages you like what are, you, what are you doing here now? Oh like, no! No, no! Like, and you're not—you're not an interviewer. <laughs> oh no! Like, okay, cool. Here you go. You here, are an interviewer. Have all the equipment back. Have all the equipment <laughs> back. It's fine. It's yours now. Um, so, in the in the show, you—you—you mm. you, you sort of pick apart your own gaming history. Yeah. Um, what? So, what is sort of for those who didn't see the show? Mm. Where? What's sort of the pinnacle? games pinnacle of gaming yeah. for me yeah. uh the sonic series mm-hmm. i was the exact right age when that came out as uh, sort of six seven eight when the sonic series was at its absolute height and it's over 25 years i can still go back yeah. and play those games and it for me it doesn't really get any better because you can just hold right to win i'm not gonna get lost <laughs> <laughs> so were there any kind of games that were kind of pinnacle in your childhood but they didn't make the show mm. Uh, going back going back to like the late 90s so when I was in my teens I loved the Tomb Raider games yep. so and they I think I'd mentioned them briefly in the show the year before but they didn't make this show because it was so much about the early 90s this year's show uh, but yeah the, I could I feel like I could do a whole show on the Tomb Raider games there was a bit in the show wasn't there but Tomb Frasier oh yeah I do yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah well well remembered I forgot that and I did the show two days ago <laughs> um, yeah there was I but it, stu- it was but it's putting it as like, a, like this joke doesn't make it anywhere yeah, but I need, to sh- I need to show it I made it I made it and when like I made a basically I put Fraser Crane's head on Lara Croft's body and <laughs> just go, oh, look, Tomb Frasier. Um, I made it thinking, oh, I'll find a place for this and then I'll make the crap Photoshop a bit better. And I never did, but I just kept it in the show anyway because I'm a hack from way back. <laughs> do, do you play much gaming now? Yeah, look, I play a lot of early 90s puzzle games okay. like uh, Columns, uh, Dr. Robonic's Mean Beam Machine. <laughs> I just sit, I wow. sit, if I've got a day off, I will put the news on, BBC mm-hmm. News Channel, and sit there all day getting angry about it while playing Dr. Robonic's Mean Beam Machine wow. and occasionally writing. <laughs> so my, my own little history, because mm-hmm. I, I, I did a little um, article once about, I bought an Xbox when I was 30, and I kind of thought, why, right. why am I buying this now? Why have right. I not done like a, a whole history? Of like, why don't I? I didn't buy a play. I never bought a PlayStation. I never really kind of. I had my brother's Sega. Okay. I like, so how have I gone from there to this? And I was like, yeah. oh, I wanted to track my own history, and I was like looking through it. And like we had the, the Amiga. Oh yeah, Amiga five hundred. Amiga five hundred. I had one of those. Uh, Second Bought it in a Friday ad. Spectrum before that, <laughs> right. and then uh, just a PC yeah. in between. And so the games were like Cannon Fodder and yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Command and Conquer. Yeah. 
and Star Wars Dark Forces. Okay. Which I loved. It was my yeah. Movie. So it was this. So when I saw the show, when I saw the show advertised at the Fringe, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you have my attention. Right. So I, okay. I'll sit there and I'll go through all the shows. And it's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird way of um, picking. It's almost like I'm getting through to like the the second stage and the second stage is yeah. you need the right name and you need a good poster and if you make it through the second stage oh yeah. okay you're on the saved list <laughs> oh thank maybe you. we'll see um, yeah because my, my, my fringe habits are terrible in that <laughs> I will go my first year I went it was 2017 and I just booked the entire time out right. for like six you know six shows a day yeah. and you go to a sh- you go see a show and you go well done clap 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 yeah. out the door straight down and you're going to the next venue you haven't got time to, do, uh, to process it you get to the point where you're like I can't laugh anymore no. I, like, I, my brain can tell that that's funny but I, my, my face can't laugh yeah. oh you've done the joke like that but they did it slightly differently mm. which means you go mm, okay, right, very good gotcha. very good yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um also in the show you, you talk about um, in the in Megadrive you talk about yeah. singing in school assembly yeah and you meant and it's it was from what what type of school was it it was a it was just a really bog standard state primary school quite a mm. secular school we weren't a religious school or anything because yeah. that, that that generated a whole conversation between me and friends about what our we, we've all grown up different parts of London and yeah. we all had that same kind of experience yes but my one for school singing mm. it, was, it was I think it was a Roman Catholic school but I think religion was kind of like yeah, yeah it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a Roman Catholic school but you eh. learn about it but whatever but yeah. whatever but it's our ones were <laughs> were Kumbaya okay yeah we had Kumbaya yeah yeah um my old man's a dustman. <laughs> we had to sing. That. Which makes there's no bit, sense. There's a bit that I cut from the show about our headmaster used to get us to sing. Um, when it was his turn to run assembly, it, we'd all sing Chaz and Dave songs. Oh no! We were singing Snookaloopy. <laughs> we had to sing. Um, oh, and Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Johnson used to play them on the piano, very austere, and you could tell she really hated playing these. We had to sing. Um, he's football crazy. He's football mad, and that's got a line in it where it goes. He kicked his wife out of bed and swore it was a goal. It's like why was Mr. <laughs> Lee needing a group of seven-year-olds to sing that to him? The other one was uh, Max Bygraves. Uh, I'm a pink toothbrush or a blue toothbrush. Oh, right, okay. Which makes, like, <laughs> all like, okay, now it's time to sing some of our daily hymns. Yeah. Like, oh, my, oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes, like, I think, I think that's just the thing about going to school in London. Just like, yeah. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. It oh, doesn't matter. Oh, we had to sing, right, said Fred, I have another cup of tea. <laughs> I think we did that one as well. Yeah. It makes it's weird. Sense. Why it's really weird. kids singing it? But it's the, quite the, complicated as well. Why are we having to sing it? <laughs> yeah, like, they booked out this time. Like, well, we've got them. Yeah. Let's make them sing, or oh, whatever. What's, what's, What's easy to play? Yeah. Jazz and Dave, my mind to us, but that'll be fine. Right. Yeah. Um, so is that it now for Mega Drive? Yeah, I think so. Unless um, I, had, I had a bit of industry in and it may be that it, they produce it elsewhere. That would I'd like to because I, re- I really enjoyed doing the show. And um, what, I, what I started out writing going, oh, this is work. It's just work mm. became like something that I'm really happy with. I really like the show. But the show is also very... The show's like an interesting progression of hobbies and interests because you started yeah. doing uh, Sondheim yeah. musicals and yeah, then you've yeah. done uh, characters and then film shows yeah. and now you've been doing sort of two years of gaming it's yeah. almost like there's a progression of diving deeper into your own personal interests yeah and, and, and always managing to keep they they all link up like my first show was called Define Gravity it was mm-hmm. about trying to get him wicked and I never have <laughs> and so but I still I, I really sing in my shows mm-hmm. like there's mm-hmm. I'd, I I um, still sing in that musical theatre style even though it's a show about gaming like last year's show heavily featured Les Mis yeah. alongside Sonic and you'd be <laughs> amazed at the crossover of people who 
liked both. <laughs> it blew me away. So how? What, what do you think might be next? Would it yeah. be? How deep does the hobby interest mm. dive now? I feel like there is a show based around PlayStation and Tomb Raider. Okay. I feel like they, that could, and I, because it always then comes back to me personally and how it's affected me personally. So I, I, I it's early days. Obviously, we're we're at the beginning of October, but I can see that uh, that's there's it's germinating. <laughs> there's yeah, there's something about uh, being a woman in gaming that I've covered in both shows, and I can certainly link that to Lara Croft. Oh, cool. <laughs> and so. Uh, for those who have never been to the Fringe before mm. and are considering going, but they don't know yeah. the whole booking process or like yeah. venue process, what's kind of like what do they? What needs to be kind of said about it? What needs to okay. be told about? You know, if you're going to do a show and you need to book a venue and you've not been before, what's kind of what are the, kind of like the top tips and stuff? Well, look, starting looking for your venue starts like repulsively early, end of November, December. You want to be looking for your venue. If you've got a lot of money, then you can get a paid venue probably more easily than you can get what I would call a good free venue because they get snapped up real fast. I mean, it took me till my sixth solo hour to get what I would call a decent free venue. So I'd been in paid venues prior to that, scraping together, <laughs> phoned over the money to cover it and then... Go, the yeah, 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 well, no, not even because it was a paid venue. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was all ticketed and you sell hardly any tickets because you're an absolute nobody. But doing that year after year and losing all that money meant that last year I finally was offered what was a really nice location wise and atmosphere wise really nice free venue which I was in then two years running so when you're off to do your first show um, if you I, I would advise free fringe don't take a time slot between 7 and 10 in the evening because you're up against all the TV names yeah and if you're new to the fringe, you're probably not a TV name. Don't go really late at night if you do your nice personal stand-up show because you're just wrangling drunks yeah. and you're going to have a horrible time. Don't be afraid of the afternoon. A lot of people first going to the fringe go, okay, well, I need 9 p.m. I did one, I've done 1 p.m. the last two years and it was, it was awesome. Like There's always people around. They come in, you're the first show they see before lunch. So basically, sort of anywhere between half 12 and six, yeah. you're, that's your time slot you want. Be prepared to flyer a lot. <laughs> and my tip with flyering is exit flyer shows similar to yours. Uh, go to, like, you know, make your little diary and go and exit flyer shows that are similar to yours. So on their way out, you can be going, more stuff about, you know, 70s movies, more stuff about comic books, whatever. And apply to, uh, apply to them as soon as possible and have a good idea of what your show is going to be like um, when you apply. What soon, how early is as soon as possible in the... Sort of December. Oh, December. Yeah, okay. yeah, December, November, December, January. They all open, they open their bookings at different times. So it's a question I've asked everyone who I've spoken to who's been performing at the Fringe. What makes Edinburgh so special? Oh, I think it just comes down to that, the history of Edinburgh. The fact that it's the biggest arts festival in the world. The fact that the city's infrastructure is not built to carry the amount of people <laughs> yeah. who now flood the fringe every year to hawk their 
wares and be self-indulgent for the month. I don't know. There's something about the fact you can't get down the pavement that you wouldn't get if the festival was in London. <laughs> no. So, yeah, I think just the whole atmosphere makes Edinburgh really electric. I'd, I'd have total FOMO if I didn't go back. And you, you did a lot of... You did Mega Drive, but also did a lot yeah. of other little shows as well. Yeah, I was playing piano in a brilliant comic Lucy Frederick show because I wrote a song which was her finale for her show, so I'd play for her each day. Um, so that was fun. And I was also in uh, a musical called I Think You Stink. which N- Nick ri- Helm. Yeah, 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 written, directed and starring Nick Helm. Um, we, it's like a horror pastiche review show, and yeah, we were all in. We were, it was me and other comedians in that, uh, including like Rob Kemp, who yep. wrote The Elvis Dead. And yeah, we had a great time in doing that every night. But it did mean I had like a 12-hour day. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, you get, how did you get involved with Nick Kelm? I think I just know him from the comedy circuit. Yeah, we don't. We've, I've been doing comedy over 10 years. He's been going slightly longer than that, I think. Um, and he, know, he needed comedians who could sing. I've, I can't remember when I first... I don't, I don't, I can't remember our first meeting, mm. but yeah, we, I've known him for years. Okay. Yeah. And then, so you, you said you've been doing comedy for 10 years, and also you studied at the Royal Academy of Music. Yeah. And you've been doing comedy for 10 years. Mm. When was the overlap of, when did it start bleeding into the music? Okay. Well, basically, I always wanted to try stand-up, and I'd been trying to get into drama school for three years on the trot. I hadn't got into any. And I'd gone away and done various contracts but I knew my career wasn't going to move any further unless I went to drama school so I tried one more year and I got into Royal Academy of Music which was my dream get Mm -hmm. and I got in and I had six months before I went and I went now's the time to do stand-up because it doesn't matter if you try it and it's not for you you're still going to drama school because my big fear of being I'd try it it wasn't for me Mm. and uh I tried it and unfortunately it was for me. I liked it very much indeed. <laughs> and I ca- carried on doing it for 10 years. And, and I guess it's always been, there's always been the overlap. Like I wouldn't be in this musical that's written by uh, Richard Thomas, this uh, Brexit musical we've been doing for two years. Uh, I wouldn't have gotten that without being a stand-up. Equally, I wouldn't have gotten it without being a you know, trained Singer. musical theatre. Yeah. Performer, yeah, yeah. So, who are you? Do you have like a musical icons or heroes? Yeah, uh, Bernadette Peters, Paddy Lapone. Yeah, but it doesn't get any doesn't get any better for me. All the Sondheim <laughs> ladies, basically. <laughs> and then in comedy. In comedy, oh, what like a musical comedy hero? Oh, uh, uh, well, comedy hero and then yeah. musical comedy hero. Okay, I've yeah, I've got uh, some really cliched ones: Stuart Lee, Joan Rivers, yeah. um, Josie Long yeah. is. Uh, I think she's amazing as far as musical comedy heroes I've got quite an unlikely one it's Sarah Silverman okay who uh, in her um, Jesus is Magic show there were like musical interludes mm. and she's a really gifted performer uh, musically she's like a really she's a genuinely really good singer so I think of her as a musical comedian even yeah. though I'm sure that's not how a lot of people see her I, I've, yeah. I've never heard anyone, anyone say Joan Rivers before oh really no, no, no. I thought that was a real cliche because she's such a trailblazer um, I'm, I'm wondering yeah. what is it about Joan so unapologetic true and maybe there were times where an apology was warranted but there's something admirable about the yeah. fact that there's a, in that documentary she did she, she I think she makes fun of Helen Keller um and somebody stands up and goes, I have a deaf <laughs> child. And she's like, I don't make a kid deaf. <laughs> Who gives a shit? And there have been times where people have been 
you know hurt and offended in audiences where I've gone no I'm with them actually mm. I'm, I'm with them but on that occasion I went no why does Joan Rivers have to apologise to you she wasn't talking about your child also you were sat there laughing at everything else yeah. <laughs> but as soon as she went oh Helen Keller couldn't hear you they went I have a deaf a child, child. Like, yeah. that's what unapologetics of confidence as well on today yeah, just, yeah she wasn't an asshole to them she just went she went I, I, what, what do you want me to do about it yeah, I'm a comedian that's <laughs> yeah, what I do that's what I do yeah, yeah. Um, I've written in bold here horrible mm. question okay <laughs> <laughs> um, show, your shows are a fusion of music and comedy yeah. what do you get a bigger thrill from music or comedy oh wow sometimes one sometimes the other okay. when I do if I do a stand up uh, gig or I do my full show and afterwards, a comedian says to me, oh, you're a good singer. I go, I feel like I've failed. <laughs> I feel like I've failed because I go, well, yeah, but you don't know anything about singing. Is it funny? Whereas if I do a, a musical, like a musical comedy, which this Brexit musical I've been doing, uh, Brexit musical I've been doing is it's a comedy musical if someone afterwards goes oh you're you're funny I feel like I'm failed I'm like but the singing <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's a weird one it's I, a notion of having to explain that this, they go together yeah, this is what yeah, I do they yeah. go together so, and all they're saying they're giving you a compliment take the compliment but yeah. my imposter syndrome means I go but I must have failed <laughs> what they're saying is you're bad at comedy what they're saying is you're bad at singing so and they're you, not saying either so how do you maintain the voice as well my singing voice uh, training I don't smoke I'm not a heavy drinker don't, I don't do any drugs I'm pretty square <laughs> I steam a lot I have a steamer which looks like a Victorian bong it's called a Dr Nelson's inhaler which I advise any performer to get if you're doing a run at the Edinburgh Fringe I will always get someone say to me I'm losing my voice what do I do I go buy a Dr Nelson's inhaler they're amazing so I steam a lot uh, if I hear my voice is starting to go and I don't have to speak or sing that night I won't I won't be if I if you know like if a friend goes oh let's go out I won't go out mm. because I can hear my voice is in trouble I know what it will be like the next day when I do have to sing and also like this is what you train to do like my my uh, postgrads in musical theatre so much of it was about vocal health understanding your voice maintaining your voice and also finding ways around it if it like there are vocally damaging jobs there's ways to make it easier for yourself like I will always get to the end of the fringe and scrape my way through the last three shows <laughs> vocally because also I've stopped caring a bit by then yeah, yeah. and you want to go out till you want to go out till two with these comedians you've been enjoying all month so yeah. I did that a few times I wasn't <laughs> I just wasn't getting out of my brain drunk but you wake up the next day you're a bit husky and you go it's fine I know how this show goes it's it all muscle memory yeah I was really fine. counting them I remember ringing my mum and going I'm into single figures <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah. so obviously singer writer stand up and actress <laughs> and then also podcaster oh yeah I podcast <laughs> I'm recording one today actually oh, yeah? Uh, yeah I do a podcast called Mystery on the Rocks mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't my idea it was uh, c- comedian Chris Stokes who's been on like the BBC Hot 100 list and he's written uh, for BBC and some stuff that I've been in um, and he's a brilliant comedian he with another brilliant comedian and writer Masood Millis they came up with this idea for a podcast where Masood who's a big cocktailier <laughs> he would make oh, oh, v- oh, co- makes oh, right, cocktails so yeah, yeah. Very, he'd make very fine cocktails um, 
and Chris is fascinated by unsolved mysteries, mm. uh, true crime mysteries, missing persons, um, X Files types mysteries where yeah. you know there's no one knows what happened, but these people just <laughs> you know disappeared, but then they returned thirty years later. We and we he so he covers all that. Masood makes cocktails, and while we drink and listen to the mystery and throw in our theories, I'm writing a song which I perform at the keyboard at the end, which is I'm always the dunce who doesn't know yeah. what the mystery is, and I'm learning about it as we go. And we have a comedian guest on every week it's had like Nick Helm Nish Kumar yeah it's Mystery on the Rocks and you get it, you can get it everywhere right yeah Mystery on the Rocks is available everywhere <laughs> uh, and so finally um, it's a segment it's a, it's a new segment which I've had to written down I've had to write ah, it down I've had to write it down okay so um, it's the previous guest ask a question to the current guest oh that's fun okay yeah um, I don't have a proper name for it I mean that's the best name I've got for it yeah uh, someone said like Comedy Connection might be a night. yeah Comedy Connection works one. yeah um, or my favourite one is that idea from Radio 4's Chain Reaction <laughs> that's basically exactly what it is I see well a good idea is a good what is it in Spinal Tap a good idea is a good idea forever <laughs> there you go that's true that's true um, so Mike uh, so the question for you comes from Comedian Comedians Podcast Stuart Goldsmith oh I like Stu great here's Stuart's question for you great hello Sue Stu Goldsmith it was great fun meeting you and working with you on uh, Rob Deering's show Beat This uh, earlier this year. Um, I suppose my question for you, I, I think I said this to you at the time, you're someone who, uh, you're massive in my social media feed. I don't know you personally that well, but because I've engaged with your very funny Facebook posts in the past, you're one of those people that Facebook repeatedly shoves into my face. Who are the, and, I'm, and very, uh, I welcome it, um, who are your equivalent people uh, maybe ones that I would know or, you know, comedians, people that I might possibly know who you find are artificially given presence within your social media without you knowing them that well. OK. From Twitter, Rob Delaney. OK. And Ryan Reynolds. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Ryan Reynolds <laughs> has... the Ryan Reynolds and Rob Delaney have the most consistently brilliant Twitter feeds mm. I've ever seen. Who knew that Ryan Reynolds was the funniest tweeter of our generation? Trying to think, who, are, who else am I always... Oh, Lou Sanders. Oh, yeah. Lou Sanders, who I've only met a handful of times, but she must think I'm some kind of stalker because everything she <laughs> tweets, I'm like, oh, that's brilliant, retweet. Uh, she's awesome. And Stuart Goldsmith, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Um, also, speaking of like, imposter syndrome from earlier, yeah. and talking about how you know, I feel like I'm a fake doing this, you know, a little a little snippet of stew in this podcast, and like, uh-huh. what a brilliant question. Like, that how, is a great question. How, how to show, how, what way to show me up with a brilliant question from, <laughs> from the past. Thanks, Stu. <laughs> thank you very much, Stu, for that question. I'm trying to think if there are any others. Henry Zabrowski. Mm-hmm. He's great. He's really good on, and he's, he's one of my favourite podcasters as well. Yeah. Suze, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much to Suze for this episode. Do check out the Mystery on the Rocks podcast. We can get at all good podcasting platforms. And you can follow her on social media, Instagram, Suze Campner, all one word, or on Twitter at Suze UK. And let me know what you have learned from this episode. I would love to hear from you. And also any suggestions for possible future guests that I should speak to as well. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Punter. That's me. Hello. And you can message me via the Facebook page, What Have We Learned? So, what have we learned? We've learned that imposter syndrome can be a feeling that you don't belong in something that you've actually earned. At the Fringe, don't overbook, you won't have time to even laugh. A strong show name and standout poster will definitely get you attention. Uh, look for your venue early, particularly around November or December. 
you'll be celebrating when your remaining shows are down to single digits. If you're doing your first show, go for the free fringe. 7 till 10 p.m. most evenings will be mostly TV names and really late night. You'll just be a drunk wrangler and flying out shows similar to your own. Also, we learned that a person that makes cocktails is a cocktailier. When you're playing Sonic the Hedgehog, just hold right all the way and you'll win. And a good idea is a good idea forever. Thank you.